What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another new episode of the What the Niche podcast with me, your host, Andrew Morris. Now, before we jump into the conversation this week, I want to offer a few shout outs to some friends of mine. First, mad props to my buddy Brian Rodman for raising over 3500 bucks for his newest comic, Memoirs of an Angel. He is someone I really believe in, and I hope he continues to achieve everything he sets out to. Second, my buddy Mitch Embry. He is back on his grind with his own podcast called Just Friends. Please find his podcast on any of the hosting platforms and feel free to subscribe. He is another great dude who is having a wonderful and thought-provoking series of conversations with people. The last shout-out goes to my longtime friend, Corey Higdon. He just put together another run of shirts for me and did another amazing job. Check out his work at DoubleHill.com. Again, as always, thanks to all my listeners for your continued support. Please feel free to keep sharing the show. And if you haven't already, head over to the store at whatthenitch.net and grab some awesome new swag. And now, to get right into the heart of this week's episode. With it being back to school time for many across the country, and it getting ready to start here in my hometown, Louisville, Kentucky, on Tuesday, I thought it would be appropriate to revisit the niche of education. This one goes out to teachers. Teachers and students. It's time to get our learn on. And we got a lot to learn, too. I don't know it all, but I know a few things. Science. You hear? You take up space, you matter. It's just science, man. Don't be a bully. Don't even be a bully to the bullies. It just makes more bullies. We can all be awful sometimes. We can all also be awesome. It's time to be more awesome. And that's what it's time for. History. We gotta study it so we don't repeat it. But if history does repeat itself, now I'm gonna name my pet dinosaur, Reginald. I just hope he doesn't eat me. We can't just study history. We gotta make history. And history is made by ordinary people. Ordinary people like you and me. And that guy. The world's greatest thinkers. Confucius. Albert Einstein. Justin Timberlake. They put their pants on one leg at a time, just like me. But I put my pants on one leg at a time while I'm dancing. <laughs> Life is school, and you gotta show up. You can't just sleep in. You can't be late. And you can't just hang out in the bathroom and laugh girls. <laughs> it's like what Whitman said, yellow. Except he didn't say that, but you would know that we would read a book, baby. Seriously, read a book, any book except the vampire ones. You want to change the world? You got to know about it. What if Shakespeare didn't go to school? His plays would be even more confusing. To be or not to be? Is that the question? I don't know what question is. I didn't go to school. Anybody? Help me out here. I got a question for you. But what are you teaching the world? How to be boring? How to make the world sad? <laughs> no! No, you're not. We're teaching the world what it looks like to be awesome. No matter who you are, somebody's learning from you. Everybody's a teacher and everybody's a student. Look for the awesome. Teachers see things. They see when you're running down the hall. They see when you're passing notes. But they also see the person that we can all become someday. A writer or a speaker or Martin Luther King. Teachers, keep teaching. Students, keep studenting. That's not a word. Sorry about that. Here's the teachers that see the awesome. The homework is this. What do you want to teach the world? Do it. Let's make some history together. Because it's simple math. Together, we're better. <laughs> Those girls are a little too loud. If their teacher inspires you, let them know. This is for teachers everywhere. So share it with them. We got to make the world awesome. Somebody's learning from you. I'm out. There are times in our history generations will likely never forget. For me, it was 9-11, the Columbine school shooting, the ruling in favor of legal gay marriage, the election of Barack Obama, 
And somehow all of those moments will likely dwindle in comparison to this very moment. The entire world is currently held captive to the whims of a virus no one fully understands. We the people are merely unwilling prisoners waiting to see if the demands of this virulent marauder are met. Every day existing in a mere shadow of the daily routine we were once familiar. Finding ourselves staring at digital silhouettes of loved ones. The days of carefree have taken a backseat to pandemic mental fatigue. Worry now ingrained in the once mundane. Shared tables at our local dive. Walking with friends through the cathedrals of retail. Or sitting beside another patron at the nearest cinema. But here we find ourselves in this virtual facsimile of our former realities. The struggles of this new paradigm of distanced existence creates a unique task for those dealers and suppliers of knowledge. As educators, many of us now find ourselves at a technological arm's length from our students. Bonds are now as temporary as the tweets, Instagram posts, or TikTok videos we consume on a daily basis. Seeking a way to create meaningful connection when the screen is telling me mine is unstable. Interesting how this message relating to the state of my equipment creates a rather apt analogy for my current state of mind. How do I engage in an age of constant stimulation? How does one build relationships in 30 second intervals? Despite the amassing questions and uncertainties, I realize I'm not alone in this task. For those who march along with the goal of arming the youth with the precious gifts of understanding and sophisticated thought, they do so hand in hand alongside the millions of brothers and sisters of knowledge the world over. This feeling takes a front seat in the conversation I had this week with educators Amy and Kevin Gose. They are both teachers and certainly some of the best human beings I've had the pleasure of knowing. In our conversation, we discuss some of the things we find most uplifting about what it means to be a teacher in the modern world. We also discuss how we all found our ways into the field via non-traditional paths. Overall, I think that it's important to hear the sense of camaraderie among those in the field of education. Whether you're a member of the profession, a parent, a student, or a concerned citizen, I hope this chat provides you with some sense of solace. Hey, my name is Amy, and I work within special education. Um, I've worked in a couple districts throughout the state, um, and I work more with the teacher and the parent side of special education right now. I was a classroom teacher for about 11 years, and I worked with kindergarten through 11th grade. So I had students um, all across varying um, disabilities and diagnoses. So I've worked with a lot of different students throughout my career. And I'm Kevin. Uh, full disclosure, Amy and I are married. Um, dun, dun, I dun. am. Yes, I am a, <laughs> I'm a theater teacher. Uh, I'm also certified as an English teacher. I uh, started at a school teaching both and then currently am at a, te- at a school that just wants me as a theater t- teacher. Uh, this is year 14, I think. Obviously, the thing that's kind of on everybody's mind right now and everybody's dealing with is everybody's stuck at home. So I thought it would be a clear and obvious choice to start talking about how things are going with you guys for non-traditional instruction, what we call NTI. Um, what sort of difficulties are you running into? Uh, what sort of things are you becoming better at that you didn't know that you needed to be better at? Uh, what sort of things are you guys encountering with all this crap? For me, what I'm running into is we have a very large population of students within our district that have zero access to technology. So when we threw this on a lot of our students, um, 
you know, we had students logging in from their cell phone. So they were trying to write papers on something, you know, the size of a Pop-Tart. So that, that was a huge hurdle for us. And then because we work with students that have learning disabilities, you know, we're trying to explain things to them over the phone or via computer, how to do something that they already have a struggle in. So they're trying to learn how to navigate this new learning style while still having the struggles that they had beforehand with how to read, how to write, how to process and things like that. So it was that for me personally, that was my biggest hurdle that we had to get through. Um, Well, teaching theater, theater is doing. (laughs) So a lot of the doing has changed. Um, But like some of it is really changed in a good way because it's, it forces creativity. One of my strengths as a teacher has always been able to adjust on the fly. Like the, the see that the kids not getting kids aren't getting it or are getting it and being able to, to make it easier or harder or adjust to each individual kid and have like 10 things going at once. I've always been really good at that. The drawback now is through NTI. The reason I'm able to do that in the classroom is because it's easier to like get them in their own space. But on NTI, everybody's space is that little eight inch square in front of me in a grid. So if I'm talking to people and I can see them because, you know, you can turn off the camera, I can still pick up some of the cues, uh, you know, the, the, the cues the kids give of, I don't understand this or I don't understand that, but I don't want to say anything um, and, and address them, but I can't spin them off into little groups to, to let them peer tutor and things like that. Uh, and then it's 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 hard to perform over this, because it, it, it's just it's it's foreign. It's a different thing to look at. That's that's really true. I, I do think you you hit the nail on the head. The type of students that you have uh, are usually those that are highly creative, uh, so they will benefit from coming up with unique ways uh, to kind of you know engage and interact with the theater. Uh, activities that you might outline for them. I know that I was talking to Ashley, as I mentioned earlier, um, she was doing activities where she let students pick scenes from films uh, or TV shows, uh, YouTube channel shows, things that they liked and recreate them without dialogue. Uh, And they Mm -hmm. had to, had to be able to get across the same message uh, with only body movements and things of that nature. And they would create the, 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 the scene with a a video camera. She was also having students do audition tapes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was like, that's a great skill to be working on right now. So teachers are getting creative. Yeah. It's your public speaking. And anytime you audition, you need an audition tape an audition video. So they're honing the skill that they're going to need later. I think it works a little bit better for some things and then other things. um, It's very difficult, much like what Amy was talking about. Um, Some of those students that really struggle are going to struggle even more because it's really hard to have that immediate back and forth that you need Mm -hmm. to help some of those struggling students where they tell you something and you can immediately go back and forth uh, rather than like waiting an hour when you get to respond to them via Google classroom or an email and then they have to respond to you. And it's just so long. And at that point, you've lost your motivation. Right. I'd quit too. I'd be like, all right, I I don't even care to know how to do that. And the other thing is the, the students control the interaction now. Because mm. if you think about it in your classroom, you control the interaction. Well, now they do because they can just not log on. That's true. And that's, that's way different than them being in the room and, and, and zoning out or uh, choosing not to participate because you can still barter with them. Yeah. There's no barter if they're not there. And, that's some, and I think that level of control uh, is what some of my colleagues are having problems with is because the, the control has to go back to the kid and has to go back to self accountability and things like that. And then we've got parents who don't have that either. <laughs> I was trying to be diplomatic, but the, I mean, they, cause that's one of the reasons the student doesn't have it is because the parent never learned it in their childhood 
to teach, to learn how to teach it, you know? And so you've got teachers who kind of take on that self-accountability lesson. And right now the kids are like, nope, if they don't want to, they don't. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really hoping that um, one of the good things that come out of this uh, is the realization, the recognition of just how much teachers do. Uh, I'm hoping that becomes a little bit more clear because now the kids are home with you. Uh, I'm a lot cynical. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, I've seen some of the posts on Facebook, uh, and I kind of, I kind of got upset because the, the the guy was upset. He's considered an essential worker. He was going to work every day, and he said, "I have two children um, who have to share technology. I'm coming home, and I'm having to teach them too." He's like, "And all teachers think that they need to do is post uh, one little video and a couple instructions, and they're done for the week." and I really wanted to chime in and say, but that's times 150. So well, and I, I, the thing Amy and I get in, into or get after each other for us, our work-life balance now is gone. Exactly. Because I'm working seven days a week. Same. And, you know, even when I'm stopping to be like, oh, I've got to mow our yard because grass is me. Huh? I, I'm out there on the mower and I'm listening to something. Oh, I'm, uh, focusing on my, my mind isn't on my task or, or whatever, because I'm and trying to figure out the next thing to do to make sure that the kids get the mm-hmm. concepts. And the next thing you know, you ran over the cat <laughs> on the mower and it's just, uh, that would be a bad day. There's a, <laughs> there's a love hate relationship between me and our cat as well. There and, should be because they're, yeah, cats. And I don't know if I would be sad, but, uh, <laughs> Uh, that's on a recording end yeah, now. Right, she has exactly. that used against you forever. Um, I, there is a reason the cat's name is Hellcat. <laughs> right. But, um, but you're right. Like there is no work-life balance right now. You know, I, we had a video chat with some friends the other night and we were over about nine or 10 o'clock and I came to plug my computer up and realized, oh, I had an email I hadn't read for the day. So I spent another 30 or 40 minutes checking the email, replying to it, looking up what I needed to look up. And so, um, so yeah, now teaching from home, um, you know, and we're fortunate. We don't have young school age children like some of our friends oh, yeah. and, and other family do where they're my wife. Te- exactly. You know, teaching from school or teaching from home and having to, help your own children. So we're fortunate that ours are older, but you know, there is no work-life balance anymore. It's 24 seven. One of my colleagues, her husband is deployed uh, and she has three uh, primary school age children and they all have classes at three different times. And she's supposed to be in meetings with us. <laughs> and yeah. And I'm just like, you do, if you need help, holler. Yeah. Right. Like right now, for example, you know, it's four 30 in the afternoon and I just got an email. Hey, can you do this for me? You know, which I will. And I don't mind that I get those emails, but you know, it's, it's continuous now. I put my phone in my pocket so I wouldn't look at it, but it's (laughs) Google classrooms been going nuts. Oh yeah. That's, that's another thing, you know, before uh, I hadn't even downloaded the Google classroom app until my onto my phone until all this started Yeah, uh, for that very reason, because I knew uh, I didn't want those things. I kind of wanted to uh, disassociate, you know, my personal life, which is this phone from my, my work computer and my work email, which I can gladly keep closed uh, anytime that I want. Yeah. And, you know, now it's becoming so problematic, as you said, and I, man, I feel like me and my wife are really disconnected. It, it, it sounds weird that we're home mm-hmm. together a lot more, uh, but we're so dis- disjointed because we're sitting right next to each other doing work stuff and exactly. our anniversary where we're doing it, you know, and it's, it's interesting. Yeah. And, I, and I'm also somebody who considers myself pretty tech savvy. Um, but I realize there's so many deficiencies in the training that we receive uh, on all this stuff. And I know that we're doing the best that we can. Nobody expected to be doing this, but holy cow, dude, you thought you knew what you were doing. And then day in and day out, you realize, oh, snap, I really didn't. Um, so it's, yeah. it's well, such a learning the, curve. In the. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, 
I want to butt in because you're a high school teacher also. So the other thing that is frustrating <laughs> me to death, sorry, sorry, Amy, um, is frustrating me to death is that hidden curriculum that we have. And the hidden curriculum is how to get into college. Hmm. Here's, you know, here's how you write a professional email. Here's how, you know, here's how you communicate with this person who has this thing that you need. Here's how you fill out your FAFSA. The, the hidden curriculum. It's mm-hmm. not anything. There's no class. There's nothing in our curriculum that says you have to teach it, but it's something we have to teach to, to make it happen. I've got out of my 10 seniors, I've got seven of them that would be first generation college students if I had them in class right now. Because I can follow up on, hey, did you email, you know, this college? Did you talk to this person who offered you a scholarship? Did you, you know, teaching them to to do to manage that part of what will be all of next year if they go to college is that there's no way to do it right now. And yeah. that's that's frustrating me to death because yeah. that's literally changing their lives. Yeah. I don't know After, if you're like me. I'm a I'm triggered by interpersonal uh, interactions. So seeing their face will trigger me to remember to talk to them about certain things. Exactly. So, so like when I'm sitting at home and I'm like running through a list in my head, I'm like, okay, uh, what needs do my students have of the 150 that I see? Uh, I don't recall things that that way because uh, my my memory is triggered by interactions and things of that nature. I'll remember weird stuff about people and forget their last name, but be like, Oh, is your dog Judy fine? (laughs) You know? So not seeing them every day, I'm not triggered to help them remember those things because I don't remember. I had, well, and right before we got on here, I just, I had a kid who I've been hassling through remind Google classroom, school email, his friends, because I know he needs to contact this one school. He has ghosted me for two weeks and like today he was like, Hey, sorry, I've just been in a bad place. And I'm like, cool. I get it. What do we need to do to get you back on track? Yeah. And, and so then, then me as the teacher has to be the counselor instead of being the teacher and you know, which is kind of normal anyway, because that's, that's teaching in high school. Yeah. And you know, and then figuring out stuff. And then also, so while I'm talking to the kid on my computer, I'm jumping over here on my phone and texting the counselor and saying, Hey, you know, here's, here's this, they've said this. I know you haven't been in contact with them. You, you hit on a a key point there, man. Um, I had a student, so I had to act as a counselor for one of my students because uh, again, the big push for us is to make points of contact. And I hadn't heard from him for the first three weeks. And uh, he informed me that two of his family members had died from COVID-19. And, oh, wow. and I was just like, <laughs> okay. He, and then he was still messaging me. I'll get to that work when I can. Sure. And I was like, okay, I, I really don't care if you worry about yeah. it at all. I'll, I got your back, man. You do what you need to do to get through this. And uh, so, it, you know, that's one of those mini hats that we wear, you know, parent, counselor, um, friend mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, and uh, I've, I've had a couple students just hit me up. How are you doing, Mr. Morris? How'd selling the house go? Oh, nice. and, you know, and you're like, Oh, Oh crap. You guys actually <laughs> listen to the stuff going on in my life. And uh, so that's been nice for me, you know, getting some of those positive affirmations that we need too, because you know, it's, it's not so bad, but it, it, it is starting to take its toll. I watched the season finale, Modern Family, and cried like a baby because <laughs> that was that was their goal. It was just mean. Uh, I was like, I miss my friends. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, let's get into, like, one of the things that, for me, that's important uh, as educators, we all obviously have an inside insider look at this stuff. What are some things that you think people on the outside don't have any understanding of? Sorry, Amy, just go ahead and turn your mic off. I'm done. I'm going. (laughs) So uh, this I mentioned earlier, I had that Facebook post the other day, and it's really the the idea that a business plan and and that business model works for everything 
Uh, and, and the more I think about it, the more I'm like, wow, if you were more motivated, you'd write a book about this. And if I had time, but I have less time, ironically, I'm at home more with less time. But the, one of the things that uh, I, I said is, you know, we look at, at certain things now and we try to impose this corporate model, this business model on it. Um, because everything's about numbers and prices and value and cost value and things like that, instead of looking at the result we're trying to get. And the result we're trying to get isn't a value in education, it's a person. Like, we have things that drive me nuts in education. We have a, we don't have a failure rate, we have to have a 100% success rate. If you go to a doctor, he's only got to be right 85% of the time. If you go to a government, they've got to be right, what, 15% of the time? <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. what it feels like. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. If it, your, your, mechanic, your mechanic can screw up, you pay him, and then you take it back and pay him again as he fixes it a second time. Unless he's a stand-up dude and goes, ah, I'm the one who messed that up. <clears throat> yeah, you know. Well, part of that, though, Kevin, you're you're talking about that hundred percent success rate. We're expecting that of our students as well. Like the whole cycle that you're talking about that people don't understand. That hundred percent, we're dumping that on our students, and we're not giving them which, a chance to make mistakes and learn from their mistakes and their failures. So, but because we're looking at everything as a biz in the, in that business mentality, everything becomes a commodity, and that includes the kids we're trying to teach. And if if everything's a commodity, we only want to buy good products. You can't have as bad as it's going to sound bad products or products that don't fit the mold is really what that means by bad products. So. Um, instead of looking and one of the things I really have been focusing on this year is empathy and that because acting is about empathy and, um, getting kids to understand the, the, that the uniqueness of difference and how the uniqueness drives our experience. And even though our experience is different, our, our, our feelings are the same. You know, all three of us have the same, a similar concept of love, a very, very similar concept of love because we're all married. So we understand that type of love, which means a lot when we're communicating with each other. But our experience on how we got to that point of love, that's what is unique and that's an interesting story. But because that empathy is removed in a business model, it's, it's a lesson that you, you don't see in students. And if you, if you think about watching your, the kids interact now, that there is less and less empathy towards each other. Mm. Like, and, and it's talk about exponential growth of apathy. You know, it's, it's in, I, you've only been doing this three years, Andrew, but I know you've seen it because we've talked about it outside of this podcast in just three years. So it's, it's the one thing in education classes, well, amongst several other things <laughs> that apathy was not something I was prepared for. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and as a teacher, we all come in with, you know, I'm a, I'm a realist, you know, I've lived a pretty unique life, grew up poor, yada, yada. Uh, so I'm a pretty realistic person, but I was not prepared for how many kids were not going to give two shits about what I was saying in that classroom at all. Like how many students you would have that have zeros. They've literally done nothing. Mm -hmm. And that, that I think that stems from a lot of what you're talking about. I think it's one of the failures of capitalism, which that goes off into a whole nother conversation, (laughs) but whole other podcast, whole other day. I think you're right in the fact that we we treat it with this business model when you're talking about people and the end goal isn't to make money. Mm -hmm. Now, in the end, it will, because every dollar spent in education puts two back into the economy. That also creates uh, the, you can directly draw a correlation between the number of incarcerated citizens in education. So there's major value in it. But 
You're not, it's not like we're going to go on the public market tomorrow at the stock market. They're going to ring the bell and everybody's like, buy up stock in schools. That's not <laughs> what it is. Yeah. yeah. So That's- I think you're, you really hit it on the head. And I think that and a combination of edu- or, or technology have really changed the dynamic of human interaction. See, uh, I think you can still have technology and have lots of empathy. I think, I think if we use it right, but I don't think we are. I think right. Instagram, no, no, no. Facebook, and yep. YouTube, and instant gratification culture is ruining mm-hmm. those of those interpersonal skills that we need to truly give a crap about each other. So I did an interview, uh, interviewed an actor, professional actor, with some uh, some questions from my students, and like one of the kids was like, "Well, what's the biggest thing that can help me as an actor?" And literally. This guy said, you know, I've worked in all these different places. And what I can tell you is put your phone down, put it on silent and rehearse. Mm. Don't let yourself be distracted. And I was like, they're going to think I planted that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I know from my experience when I, I jumped back into the acting pool last year, I set aside two hours ahead of rehearsal time. Uh, every week, I would go in in the basement at IUS. You didn't get signal. I legit couldn't get signal there. And I was like, this is perfect. I went in there, set my phone down, set my script up on a music stand, and went through my lines for two They've got hours. a nice facility up there. They do. I, I love their theater. Uh, I, I, I wish I could get more kids up there to them. I know. Ashley's doing great things. I can't give enough shout-outs to her. Uh, she's done so much for me. And uh, just an absolute... Wonderful person, wonderful teacher. Um, so I, I hope it keeps growing, which it, it has since she's been um, helping out there. And But, yeah, I, I think that's a great point. So th- this little piece here, and that's something I, I try to instill in my kids, is that they think that their phone is important to them. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I do my banking on my phone. I send money to other people that I owe bills through my phone. I was like – I, I can clock in for my other job with my phone. Um, I have Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat, and I keep track of friends that I haven't talked to in 20 years. And the only way that I can see kind of what's going on in the life is this thing. And I was like, so trust me, I understand mm-hmm. how important these phones are to, to you. I pay with uh, in person. I've forgotten my card a couple of times. I could pay this damn right. thing. I never forget my phone. I listen to my music in my car. A podcast are on there. It's connected to their self-worth now. Yeah, that's that's the problem. That and shoes. Oh, yeah, shoes. I can't say shit about shoes. Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah. uh, I got a problem, bro. Uh, (laughs) Like. That, that's. Go ahead, (laughs) Amy. But the, the phone now what's in that phone to them, that's their self-worth. If they don't have the likes, if they don't have the followers, then they're not important. And that's the only thing that matters now. And they think I'm a three headed alien because I, I, uh, through school, we have a YouTube channel, uh, like our, like, see your school email address. You have a YouTube channel also. So you just got to click on YouTube and you can curate your own, videos and stuff for teaching and things like that on it. It's really awesome. But they always freak out because they're like, you only got three people that follow you. And I'm like, well, I'm the other two people also. <laughs> <laughs> so I could track everything that I've got going on in here. And they're just, and they're like, well, why don't, why don't you want more people? And I'm like, because I don't, I don't let them decide what I think about me. Mm-hmm. And, and like all of a sudden they're like, you don't even know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, well, no, I do, yeah. and you will one day. Hopefully, that's what we're hoping for. Because that's all they yeah. that, like I said, that's all that they can connect it to. <laughs> yeah, it, it's yeah, it's it's truly tragic. Did Amy? Did you have any thoughts on like something that you know things? Do you think that you have uh, a pretty introspective viewpoint on, or not introspective, uh, but inside information about education that other people don't understand? Um, one of the big things that, that I can't, or that I don't think some people outside of education understand is the social constructs that some of our students have. Um, we have a huge 
a hugely diverse population in this county, which is great. It's wonderful to have that type of, of population. But unfortunately, there with that, it creates um, an, an environment where some students don't understand the others from, from all, all sides. And some teachers don't even understand that. For example, right now, I have a student who is sharing one Chromebook with his six siblings who are all in school. So we have seven students in this one household all using one piece of technology, but yet they're still all seven expected to, you know, held to the same expectations in all of their school classroom, uh, classroom work. And that's just unrealistic. It's not a reasonable expectation. And so we're immediately from the, from the starting gate setting our students up for failure because they can't meet that expectation. So then they give up. And then they lose that self-worth and that self-motivation that we're trying to instill in them. So it's this big cycle of, um, you know, that, that, that we're stuck in trying to teach them that. And with a lot of students, especially within the special education world, they struggle with those interpersonal skills anyway on being able to um, – I know soft skills is not a good term to use within the theater world, but they're skills. <laughs> they're not soft skills. They're skills. I know, I know. And I do agree with that, but for the sake of some of our audience members, we're going to call them soft skills and they don't. Let's educate our audience <laughs> instead of talking down to them. Their skills. Their skills. What's the skills you're talking but about? They, they don't have them. They don't have empathy. They, they don't, they're not able to read body language. They're not able to self-motivate and do some of those things on their own. Um, and they're, and again, they're held to that same expectation. And then that's a huge frustration for me when I see students that have such potential, but they're held to that, um, held underneath that, that social construct that they're stuck under. So. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a good thing to, to realize, too, when we're talking about, you know, the performance of the United States education-wise versus the rest of the world. Uh, we deal with such a unique dynamic mm -hmm. here uh, when you consider the fact that the, I believe there's 132 languages spoken in Jefferson County. Wow. Yeah. Um, so when you're looking at that, you're talking about homogenized populations versus heterogeneous populations. So when you go to places like the top performing educations consistently, South I'm about Korea, you can love whoever you want to love, man. <laughs> I'm not worried about it. I saved a joke that I had for her while she was talking. How dare you? <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> but places like South Korea and Finland mm -hmm. and Norway, how many different types of students do you think they have? Exactly. Exactly. Maybe and two. If maybe yeah, two. Yeah. Norway has coastal and cold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, those that haven't caught their first sea bass yet. Exactly. Um, yeah. Have, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, we're presented with a unique set of, set of problems. Mm -hmm. We so, have so many um, um, immigrants that move into the United States and move into our state um, that we're, we're also working with that cultural barrier as well which, you know, sometimes will negative, negatively affect the, the interaction between the teacher and the student. And so that's a struggle that, uh, that our teachers have to overcome, that cultural awareness. Well, and I don't like classifying them as problems. Like, I know that's what we all do, but uh, it's, it's, it's more like it's a missed opportunity. Yeah, that, that would be better. Sure I don't think it's, it's a problem. I see what you're saying. It's yeah. a missed opportunity to bring a worldview to our student mm -hmm. who's never left 34th yes. Street. Does that make I sense? Have, yes. And, and that's, that's a state and county failure more than mm -hmm. a teacher yeah. failure. Does that make sense? Mm. And that's not saying that the state and county aren't doing everything they can do. It's just they move at a glacial pace. I previously worked in a more rural county and at the elementary school. We both did. We did. Um, and I had <laughs> elementary students. And one, you know, December before our winter break, the students were all excited and talking about um, 
what they were going to do for Christmas. And one of the students who um, was Middle Eastern mentioned that, well, we don't celebrate Christmas. And at first, the other students were, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, they felt so sorry for her. And she was like, well, no, we do this instead. And she spent, and this was a girl with a learning disability that did not speak out much at all, spent the entire 45 minutes of our session talking about what her family celebrated and how they celebrated through the winter months and the fall and the spring months. And it was so enlightening to see her not only be proud of of that, but to have other people take an interest in it as well. So, I mean, that was a huge learning opportunity that that we jumped on in that class. And it was, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. It, okay. it can be beautiful. Oh, sorry, Kevin. Uh, it can be beautiful when you capitalize on that in that kind of way. Uh, I got to give a shout out to Scott Belden at DOS, uh, who does what's called World Fest every yeah. year. Yes. I don't know if you got to go to that. I remember but, that. Uh, we have... Yeah, I mean, we have a, a extremely diverse mm-hmm. population. Uh, we have, I think, 27% of kids are demonstrated as other race, and then uh, overall 67 student, 67% students of color. And he used that as an opportunity to give those students some pride in where they're from and put on this festival where they got to present to all of the faculty and other students, and they got to come in and talk about their country, wear the the clothing and attire that is mm-hmm. unique to their region. And then they even had food at the yeah, lunchtime. They, I remember uh, that. The food was so was good, good stuff. too. <laughs> it's great. I think it's been it's been a good question thus far for me. Um, who are some people that inspired you to get into education? Does it got to be somebody who's famous and any of that bullshit. I know sometimes that the most uh, impactful people are those close to you. Uh, and I know mine is my wife. She was teaching for five years before uh, I'm four years before I enrolled in school and just seeing her passion for it kind of led me to uh, the career. So who are those people for you guys? You can go first. No, <laughs> I want to hear how how you ins- you were inspired by me because I started teaching before you. Did. So um, education is my second career. I worked um, in the uh, business world. I have a business degree and I have an aviation degree. So I did adult training basically for a company I worked for. Um, so I taught adults basically all day, how to use certain computer systems and the different processes within the company. And Kevin started teaching. And at first, I'm going to admit it was a little bit of jealousy because he was able to get home before me. Um, (laughs) You know, there were those couple longer weeks of vacation within the summer. And that was uh, when I was naive and didn't realize just how much work he did during the summer when I wasn't home. So there was a little bit of that. But then I also have uh, family members who are special needs and received special needs education through our county all the way through graduation. So when that opportunity came up for me to switch careers, I kind of jumped on it. And it's been the best thing I think I could have ever done. Um, it was, it, it's been a huge positive for, for our family, but there was a lot of question from other family members because I was leaving, um, I was leaving a really good job. I, I had moved up pretty well. Um, I had 20 years and on the company, um, but I had done everything that I had been asked to do and kept getting turned down and passed up for the areas and promotions that I wanted. And I, I wasn't happy anymore. And my only regret is that I did not make the jump sooner. As frustrating as education can be sometimes uh, with all of the red tape and paperwork, um, it has had the biggest positive impact on me, on on our relationship as a, as a, cap, a couple, on the way that I work with my own children. Um, I think if I could have gone into education sooner, I think it would have made me a better mom when they were younger. So it's, it's huge. I love it. Top this. I'm sorry, my IP. <laughs> I was daydreaming. Story of my life. <laughs> let's, let's go back to that conversation about being present. 
Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Watch the body language. <laughs> so, so, uh, I guess for me, it's a, it's a weirder story. Um, I used to jokingly say I stumbled into teaching the way Otis stumbled into the jail at Mayberry. And I just kind of ended up there. Um, but it, it's actually a, a more direct process. Um, I worked, uh, ended up graduating from Murray State and uh, worked professionally in theater for a few years. Traveled around, contract to contract, um, and then ended up at Actors Theater. Worked there, sawed off my finger, and uh, then worked there six more months. And then I just needed a break because I, I, I couldn't use the saw. I'd freak out every time I used the table saw. And um, one of our friends was uh, uh, teaching in Indiana and she got pregnant, um, wasn't me. And uh, <laughs> she uh, needed somebody to sub for her. So I went in and subbed uh, for her and then they needed somebody to te help teach the tech theater class and build shows. So I started doing that. And then they had an opening for a teacher and I, w I was, and she's like, apply for it, you know, see what happens. So I went in and applied for it and it was a brutal interview. Um, they, it was one of those, they obviously had somebody else pick, but now I know when you, like, you can feel it when you walk in the room in education, it's very easy to tell that you're the interview so that they can get the person they want in there. <laughs> and, uh, uh, so I did that and then, um, and Amy and I weren't married at that point. Uh, we were still dating and then I went and is that when I started the furniture store? I don't Something know. Something like that. Timeline's, timeline's fuzzy. It feels like it's been a while. Um, but I was at the furniture store for a while and I was, I was actually not happy. I was good at my job, just not happy with it. And, uh, Amy was like, you know, the only time you've been happy is when you're up working at the school with the kids. And then we had a couple long talks uh, about stuff and then got engaged and all that stuff. And one of our friends uh, was uh, – I'm jumping around you too much. jumping around. Okay. So we had a bunch of talks and when we were talking about talks, she was, she would be like, well, you know, when you talk about when you worked at actors, the thing you enjoyed was working with the apprentices and teaching them what you were doing. And when you were at uh, seaside, what you enjoyed was when they said, Hey, take, take the, the interns and, and, you know, run them as a crew and, and that you've always done this kind of, you know, backdoor teaching with people and mentoring and things like that. And, and Amy's like, you know, you need to look into it. So I started looking into it and it just seemed cost prohibitive uh, with, with where we were financially. And then we got married and I still wasn't convinced. And then uh, our friend Carrie at the wedding grabbed me dragged me into a corner she's she was what eight months pregnant at the mm -hmm. time yeah with twins and she stood about five and, foot tall so you know this tiny little round girl <laughs> and, she, and she had me by the wrists that your listeners can't see and she pulled me down and she said this is what you're good at you need to go teach you need and just and like for five minutes just railed me amy had no idea she was in the middle of the dance floor being dancing queen it's pretty, pretty rude to rail somebody in their wedding day. I just <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, she uh, so after the wedding honeymoon stuff, we're sitting there trying to figure out if if any of that will work, and uh, we get a call, uh, and Carrie died about twenty three days. Yeah, she uh, died giving birth to the kids. And so my last conversation with her was, you need to go do this. And at that point, we were much more religious than we are now. So I was like, okay, God, I get it. 
you know, you could have done that a little easier. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and then I went in. It was very fast yes. within about a month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You were, you were yeah, in class so and then right after that, had a job. I went in for an interview with Spalding on a Friday and they said, come in Monday to class. We'll register you at lunch. Oh, wow. It was that fast. And so yeah. I started a cohort and like, and then it just like everything just started clicking for me. It's interesting that you have a similar trajectory into how you got into education as to how I did. Cause, uh, death, <laughs> death led me into signing up for education. Cause, uh, kind of like you guys, I have a similar track. I was making whiskey barrels for 10 years and with overtime and stuff like that, I was making about 60,000 a year. And, uh, you know, unfortunately it's, it's a huge pay cut to go to education. It is. To satisfy yeah. It. And, but I was miserable, absolutely miserable. And I, I'm a very outgoing person, very extroverted. And I, the 125 decibels on the floor, you wear earplugs. It's not really set up for conversation. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was just losing my mind, man. And my dad got real sick. He had pancreatitis, was in the hospital for eight months. Uh, and the guy that, you know, I grew up thinking was Superman, the smartest guy I knew, the strongest guy I knew, you know, much like what any person looks up to, they're a good dad. And watched him deteriorate into nothing. And just realized how finite everything is and really did some soul searching. And, um, two weeks after he passed away, I signed up, I signed up for college two weeks. I was like, mm-hmm. I, I got to do something different. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, my thought was like, what would my dad want me to do? And the, the answer was easy. Whatever the fuck made me happy. It was obvious. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, this ain't making me happy. So I signed up and much like you, like, as soon as I got into education, I taught English for six months, a half a semester. Yeah. And then they asked me to make the move over to humanities. Um, and it's made so much sense. Once mm-hmm. I started doing it, I was like, this is what I should have been doing always. Yeah. And then, then mm-hmm. I went out and tried out for a play. I hadn't stepped foot on a stage in 16 years since I was in high school. And it, mm-hmm. that motivated me to chase that. And I was in my first year teaching. I must have been out of my yeah. damn mind to take <laughs> all that work. workload. A little bit. But I worked yeah, with you then. It, yes, a little bit. <laughs> I made it work. I was grading papers backstage. Legit. I was yeah. grading papers and then I would be listening. Oh, there's my line. And then I'd be on stage and I didn't drop a line. I didn't miss a cue. So these kids that were in college that were just <laughs> off running around doing whatever. I'm like, bitch, why are you missing your cue dog? Exactly. Like, I was mid grade and hopped up. Like, so I, t- I tell kids all the time. When you go to college, look for the people that are there that aren't your age. And mm. I said, and if there's group work, go to them. Say, I want to be in that person's group because that person has a wife or husband or somebody at home, maybe a kid. They will not waste your time. No. You won't go. It won't be like community where you go to the study <laughs> room and you'll, you know, yeah. sit there and play. The floor is lava. You'll, <laughs> you'll actually get everything done and then have plenty of time to play. The floor is lava. Yeah. Well, do you guys have any ending notes of something that you'd like to share with people? Uh, hopefully something positive in them on a positive mm-hmm. note, anything. Um, I would like for anybody who is listening to take pride in their community schools and the children Mm -hmm. in their community. Um, Instead of being the neighbor that you see kids walking down the street, instead of automatically assuming that they must be up to no good and positively engage them because that's what they need. And more positive community interactions and more pride in our communities will have a huge positive impact on our children and their future. I agree a hundred percent. What do you think, Kevin? How the hell am I supposed to follow that up? Uh, You're married. I don't know. Figure it out. And go. I want to call him Mulligan. Mulligan, you have to take all of that back. Um, 
So you, you won the the podcast. Yes. <laughs> so um, my I guess actually mine kind of uh, falls on that, but I want to specialize it a little more. So um, one of the things that is uh, I know you want me to be positive, but it's frustrating. Um, is having a 14-year-old kid in high school who has never seen us play school, even a school play. They've never um, experienced anything in the world outside of their neighborhood or their church or you know, just anything. And I'm not, I'm not saying those things are bad, uh, it, but there's so much out there in our community. Like last night we were talking, uh, I was talking to some friends on zoom and we were, we, they, we started listing out the theaters in, in Louisville and I stopped being able to count at 10. And that's before we started getting to the community theaters. That's just the professional. But there's so many little places to see good theater. Uh, uh, JCC, um, Bunbury, the MEX has different groups in there constantly. And it's, it doesn't all have to be that, you know, Walden School does great show, great works. That all, PRP, Valley, Atherton, Eastern, I'm, I'm missing so many. You're, you're, you're going to start one in DOS. <laughs> um, you've got IUS. You've got UofL. UofL has two theater programs, uh, the African-American theater program and the theater program. Derby Dinner Playhouse. Derby Dinner Playhouse. Which I found, out, yeah. I found out yesterday, Derby Dinner Playhouse is like a huge, huge, like, force in the in the dinner dinner playhouse type that style mm -hmm. um like in the the u.s like it's huge um like people want to go work like seek to work up the ladder to go work there like it's crazy and i you know well, actors theater actors theater yeah. is one of the biggest theaters in the country i can't believe you forgot yeah. that <laughs> Yeah, the human. No, I hadn't gotten okay. to it. I was I was trying to highlight the non pros, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. uh, stage one, uh, but the, and, you know, all the uh, I think all the Catholic schools have a theater program of some sort. Mm -hmm. So like, there's the opportunity to get in there and, and see that and experience that um, because there's you've taken your kid to every ball game, you've taken your kid to you know, you've taken your kid to see, have a lot of experiences, but there's so many outlets for uh, uh, just, for just how we all live, you know, that, you know, I, I challenged our community and our parents that if you're taking your kid to a, a Sandlot basketball game, then when your kid has to take that orchestra class, you make sure you're there for every performance, you know? Mm -hmm. And if you can't be there, make sure your spouse is there, grandparents there, just get somebody there. And then when older brother or when you're the older sibling is there and you take the younger sibling, when a younger sibling's turn to go through, bring the older sibling. You know, and just in and support these these groups that are the training grounds for how we work together, uh, how to deal with conflict, how to work as a team, how to um, you know be a member of the community, how to how to as silly as it sounds, how to praise somebody. You know what's how you know and things like that, and just those little. The little things matter more than the big things. And sometimes I think our community forgets that. That wasn't, that wasn't a bad follow-up there, Kevin. See? <laughs> I, knew, I knew you had Good it job. in you. <laughs> I rambled in the middle. It was totally not coherent to anyone but me. I totally get it. It's, no, I totally – I related to that pretty hard, man, because uh, I'd say um, 
what it means to a lot of our students Mm -hmm. that do performances and things at our school to be there and support them uh, for something other than just athletics. I try to make uh, both the choir concerts. Uh, I, of course, we don't really have a theater department. I came to one of your shows last year, and I, you could just tell the kids that really means a lot to them, especially, as you mentioned, that praise and letting them know that somebody was there and somebody cared what they were doing. Yeah. And so I made sure to talk to all your students because I know what things like that meant to me. Uh, my parents came to all my plays that I did in school. Um, my dad came to nearly every choir concert that I did. It was exhausting and grueling. He would be dog tired and he'd still come <laughs> yeah. and comment on it. Yeah. Oh, so-and-so was great tonight. So you knew he just wasn't phoning it in. Exactly. My dad wasn't out there asleep. He was paying attention <laughs> and that meant the world. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more with you on that. I think that's a great way to end this. Uh, everybody be participate, worry about your community, support your community.